You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Let's turn again in our Bibles to the New Testament and to the letter of James, which if you're using uh, one of the church Bibles, you should find on page uh, 1,213, technically opposite 1,212. It won't have a number, I don't think, uh, but it's 1,213. James sometimes kind of disappears at the end of the letter to the Hebrews, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. Uh, When we usually read the first verses of any New Testament book, or Old Testament book for that matter, it's usually a signal that if it looks like, sounds like, and reads like the beginning of a new series, it is the beginning of a new series. But unless two sermons constitute a series, I don't think this is the beginning of a new series. And uh, I also think that uh, I had uh, told David I would preach two sermons from James chapter 1 before any consciousness of the litany of struggles uh, that as a congregation uh, and a people we find ourselves going through. So, um, if you're interested in sermon titles, uh, both of these sermons are entitled, Have We Trials and Temptations? Some of you will know that's not an original expression. It's from what a friend we have in Jesus. And this morning it's trials, and next Sunday it's temptations. Um, So, let's read in James chapter 1. James, a servant of God, almost certainly Jesus' half-brother, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, probably a reference to Christians who have been scattered using that Old Testament and intertestamental phraseology of the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. In whimsical moments, I like to imagine the little church in which this letter was first read, and a couple recently become Christian believers, 
and the husband in the family has man flu, which of course existed in the first century, but only now do we know it really is serious. And uh, his wife has gone to the service, and she comes home very excited, and she says to him, we had a letter from James this morning, and uh, I knew you'd be interested in it, so I, I, I tried as well as I could with my little shorthand to take it down, and I, I managed to get the, the first uh, few minutes of it down, and uh, the husband says, well, well, what did he say? And uh, he's got man flu, and she says to him, well, he says, he says, you're supposed to be rejoicing. And the man says, what? He said, well, he said, when you're sick, you should be happy. And he says, give me that. Give me what you wrote down here. And he reads it out. He says, he doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say you're to rejoice when you're sick. He doesn't say you're to be happy when you're sick. What he says is this. He says, you're to count it all joy when you go through trials. And that's no the same thing. Well, which of them is right? Are you supposed to be rejoicing when you're sick? Or are you just supposed to count it all joy when you're sick? You know, that's a husband and wife debate into which I am not prepared to enter this morning. So, let's just look at what James is actually saying in this letter and to focus our attention, especially in what he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And like so many of the writers in the New Testament, James has this ability to help us to understand how we are to do what he says almost without kind of spelling it out and saying there are three things you need to do. So, characteristically in the Scriptures, the answer to the question, what, is clear. The answer to the question, how, is usually woven into what we are taught in the context of the passage. And that's exactly what we find here in this letter. So, I want us to look at three things uh, briefly this morning about how do, we, how do we come to share this perspective that James encourages us to have, that when we meet trials, we're able to count it all joy. And the first thing to notice is this. It's pretty evident in verse 2, that trials, he says, come to us all but each of us is called to make exactly the same response. Trials of various kinds come to us all, but each of us is called to make exactly the same response. He speaks here about meeting these trials um, or them coming to us in different versions. And interestingly, he uses the same verb that Luke uses in the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's the anonymous fellow on his journey between Jerusalem and Jericho, and he is set upon by thieves. He meets thieves. It's a picture of falling into a, a situation of uh, disaster and difficulty and perhaps great pain. And it's almost as though he's saying to us, you don't, you know, who needs to go and look 
for trials. If you go on in the Christian life for any length of time, you're never going to have to look for trials. There will be the trials uh, to which all mortal flesh is heir, and then there'll be the trials to which Christians in particular are heirs. As he goes on in this letter, it, it looks as though some of these Christians are now living where they are because they have been dispersed from their homeland through persecution because they're Christians. And so, the whole of the life that they live is a kind of perpetual trial. They're far away from home and far away from friends and far away from family. And so, you don't need to look for trials. He says, they will, they will come to you. Um, they will be like the, like the bandits, the robbers that waylaid the man on his way between Jerusalem and, and Jericho, and you never know when they're going to be around the corner. But he says there are various kinds. He uses a, a, an adjective that uh, he and Simon Peter seemed especially to love that kind of, uh, can be used in the context of something that's got many different colors, many different hues. So, this is actually a very subtle word of counsel to us that we should never say to one another when someone else is going through trials, we should never say, I know exactly what you're going through. All you know is exactly what you have gone through. You do not know exactly what they are going through. Or worse, to say, I feel your pain. No, what you feel is your pain because you don't know what to say to somebody else who's got pain. Pain is not transferable like that. And so we need to understand that in the providence of God, He, as it were, distributes trials providentially into the lives of Christians that will vary enormously from each other. Indeed, will be individually crafted. And we, we, we think so much, don't we, as Christians about the fact that God cares for us as individuals, but we, we sometimes bristle at the thought that He has also in His providence prepared individual trials for us that are not for somebody else. And some of the hues of those trials, to pick up this idea of multicolored, some of them are very dark indeed, and for others, they, the shades seem to be relatively light. And yet, he says, that every single one of us who is a Christian believer is called to respond to those trials shaped in God's providence to my life in exactly the same way. In other words, there is a hallmark of Christians who are facing trials, and the hallmark of Christians who are facing trials is, James says, that they count it all joy when they meet them. And, uh, you know, that would be, uh, that would be great counsel that we could dismiss if it were not for the fact that he knew what he was talking about, if it were not for the fact he comes right out of the world of the, the book, the Acts of the Apostles, where you remember when, when the early Christians were persecuted and faced great trials, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. 
And now when Paul and Silas are thrown into prison, they start singing psalms of joy. And this is all over the New Testament. It's one of the great characteristics, one of the big differences between a New Testament Christian and the Roman world in which that New Testament Christian lived. One of the things that made them stand out a mile was that they counted their trials and their tribulations as joy. Now, how do you do that? Well, James's language here, I think, might be more, more readily interpreted or translated for us uh, if our versions had said, uh, look at it from this perspective. Look at it from this perspective. No, you, you, you're, you're somewhere and some, somebody says, don't you think that's fantastic? And, and you think, I don't think that's fantastic at all. And they say to you, well, come over here and look at it from this perspective. And they say, oh, now I see what you're talking about. You know that um, a visual image of the, of the, the old, ugly old hag and the beautiful woman um, and uh, I mean, I, I know people who tell me they've never seen a beautiful woman there. And so I want to say to them, now sit down beside me and I, just look at it from this perspective. Focus on this. And instead of seeing the ugly old hag, you, a beautiful woman will emerge. And they say to you, well, oh, so it's all a matter of perspective. And yes, it is. It's not a matter of saying, you know, I would rejoice if the pain were less. I would rejoice if the difficulties weren't so great. He's not, he's not saying, you know, you need to be the kind of Christian who's, who finds a way of suffering less pain. He's saying, no, you need to be able to look at it from a different perspective. Because it's only when you look at it from a different perspective that you'll see what God is doing. I happened to be on a train yesterday coming down from Aberdeen, heard this conversation between a girl who was studying art, I think, and somebody who I, I couldn't see. And she said to him, are you a visual person? I said, what do you mean I'm a visual person, you know? No, no, she said, she said, I'm an artist and I see things. Well, that's profound, I thought. And then she started talking about the things she saw, how, you know, green really looked green or not so green, and how, you know, she was really saying, brightly or wrongly, I see things that other people tend not to notice. And that's the kind of thing that James is saying here. He's saying as a Christian, you need to learn to see things that you haven't noticed before. And it's only when you begin to see those things in a different perspective that the response to which each of us is called in whatever tribulations we may go through will be identical in the sense that we will be able to count it as a joy. And interestingly, this is not an option that we're given. Isn't that interesting? I don't think I would dare to say this to anyone who was going through tribulation, but this is James, you know? And James is saying, this is a responsibility you have. You have got to learn to be able to see things 
in this new gospel perspective, because that is the right perspective for Christians. Um, remember the man that uh, Jesus came to who was blind, and he put the spittle in his eyes? And uh, do you remember that at first he says he, he saw men as trees walking, and then Jesus kind of gave him full sight. And that's such an illustration, isn't it, of what the Christian life is like for us. We kind of, you know, we really, we, we once were blind, but now we see, but we don't see everything immediately perfectly as Christians, do we? Don't understand the whole Bible immediately. Don't understand God's providence in your life. And it's as though James is saying, you know, perhaps what you need as you go through tribulation is a second touch from Jesus that will, will just enable you to to look at what is happening with 2020 vision. Because you see, we all suffer. Every human being suffers from this problem. We all think that the way we see things is the way they really are. And nothing could be more wrong. Nothing could be more wrong. So, he's saying you need to learn to see things with a new prescription in the lenses of your life, because trials will come to us all as Christians, but each of us is called to respond in the same way to count this trial as joy. That's not something that happens to you. That, my friends, is something you do. You count it as joy. You act faith, and you say, because of the new perspective the gospel gives me, I am going to count this as joy. And notice, this is not a matter of how you feel about it. He's not saying when you go through tribulations, feel joy. No, he's saying count it a joy. That is to say, you need to see, well, what do you need to see? Well, that's what he goes on to explain. First of all, trials come to all of us, but each of us is called to respond to them in the same way. Second, and here he begins his explanation. The trials that God providentially gives to our lives are given to our lives in order to produce something in our lives. Uh, now, you see what he's saying now. Um, it's as though he's, he's, as though he's putting an organism under the microscope, you know, some whatever. And, and under the microscope, you see that that, uh, you know, this, you just thought this was a bit of stuff, but it's actually alive. Something's happening here. And he's saying, now, this is the perspective you need to have on your trials and tribulations. You need to put them under the microscope of Scripture, and when you put them under the microscope of Scripture, what do you see? You see that God is alive and working, and He's productive in your trials. And notice how he explains this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know, not because you feel. We live in a world where people feel things, you know, emotion and how I feel about things is the big issue of our day. No, he says, it's because of what you know. You don't count tribulations and pain 
as joy because you feel that way, but because of something you know. Well, what do you know? Well, he tells us, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith is productive. And what it produces, he says, is in the English Standard Version, uh, steadfastness. I think maybe in the, in the NIV, it's perseverance. Uh, the, the, the root picture in the Word is a very interesting one. It's the picture of somebody who's able to, to remain or, 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 or keep standing underneath the pressure. Um, any of you, when you watch the Olympics, look up to see when the weightlifters are coming on. I mean, you know, interest in weightlifters the rest of the year. You don't like seeing these guys, you know, they're you know, busting through their T-shirts. But when these guys come on, and the, the guy comes on to do the, is it the snatch and jerk? You know what the world record in the snatch and jerk is? It's the equivalent of David Robertson coming onto the platform, carrying above his head three of our elders and their wives. <laughs> it, is, it is unbelievable. And you know, if you're into watching YouTube videos, you need to watch these guys. You know, the snatch, well, boom, and the, the jerk, and, and then the, you know, the, oh! Now, that's exactly the picture. Now, um, those of you who love uh, Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice, remember the ghastly Lady Catherine de Burr when Elizabeth Bennet is playing away the piano, and she says uh, something like, uh, you know, if I'd learned it, I would have been a great proficient. And you want to say, get a life. <laughs> if I'd learned it, I would have been a great proficient. But you, you know, you, you don't lift 530 pounds above your head by getting up one day and saying, I think I'm going to try that. That's only produced by the pressure, the building up of the pressure, the testing of the strength, and the testing of the strength, because this will crush you if there hasn't developed in you the strength to be able to stand under the weight. And actually, that's a, that's a great thing. I remember as a young Christian reading Paul saying in Ephesians 6 that having done all, you're still standing. I think, is that all there is to a Christian life? And now, I think it's a miracle I'm still standing. It's a miracle I'm still standing. And he's saying, this is the purpose of tests. Um, someone very close to me frequently says, this test is simply to strengthen you for the next test. And that's how he works. But you see, this is a different perspective, isn't it? You count it as joy. You don't say, I'm really loving this. I mean, I know you get a high from running and all the rest of it, but do, do, these, do these guys get a high from… I suppose they do. But they didn't love it all. And the tests, you know, you hear these athletes speak about how, how life is tested in order for them to be able to do these extraordinary things. And, and so, this is, this is life for you. Um, the whole of life. This is how Jesus viewed the whole of His life. 
Remember how he says so sweetly about his disciples, you know, the thing I, the thing I really love about you, brothers, is you were with me in the time of my testing. So he knew it. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus didn't go to the cross when he was 18. He didn't go to the cross when he was 30. Humanly speaking, do you remember how we're told that he learned obedience through what he suffered? That doesn't mean that he was sinful and he became sinless. It meant that his obedience grew into the size of the tests he was going through. And so, from the human point of view, he was, he was more and more made the man who would be able to bear the ultimate test of Gethsemane and Calvary. And it's the same for us. We count our tribulations as joy because we know that God is doing something through them, something in us. And this is the constant New Testament teaching, isn't it? Paul says, tribulation works patience. Patience creates endurance, and endurance creates character. It's such an interesting illustration of the fact that God has relatively minimal interest in anything you will ever do, and maximal interest in what you are becoming, because that's His real interest. I don't think you're going to be doing in glory what you may be doing just now, but He's preparing you for that glory, because He's interested in what He's making you, not so much in what you do. Remember that marvelous uh, section in C.S. Lewis's uh, Mere Christianity, where he speaks about uh, someone becoming a Christian and, and then suddenly feeling that they're going through all kinds of tests, and he speaks about the way in which God is knocking you about, because when you became a Christian, you thought He was going to build a little cottage, but actually He means to build a palace. So, there's a variety of trials. We're able to see them as joy because we understand that God has a purpose in our trials. He's, he's building our character. He's shaping us. He's a sculptor. Uh, he's, he's chiseling away. He's a house builder. He's a temple builder. He's, he's building you together with other living stones and brick stones or stone stones are much easier to work with than stones that are made up of people. And so, when, when you feel it, realize that the Lord is working. The Lord loves those whom He chastens and chastens those whom He loves. And then there's this third thing that James speaks about here. There's a variety in our trials, there's purpose in our trials. And there's a goal in our trials. There's, a, there's an end product in our trials. What is that end product? Well, it's twofold. Here and now, it is in order to produce maturity in our Christian lives. You see how he says that? He says, what God is working to do is so that when steadfastness or perseverance that is produced by the testing of our faith that is involved in the trials of various kinds when it has its full effect, you will be mature and complete, 
lacking in nothing. That is to say, you'll become a full-grown Christian. Or to put it in many ways in, in more concrete and personal terms, he's doing this so that you'll become more like Jesus, because that's his passion. Romans 8, 29, he predestines us from the foundation of the world so that we will be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he will be the first of many brothers. That's actually all he's interested in. God has no interest for all eternity in anything that doesn't reflect his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be nothing for all eternity in his presence that doesn't in one way or another reflect His Son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, you almost don't need the Bible to tell you this. Do you think it's easy to turn you into somebody who's going to be like Jesus Christ? Well, how would He do that? Well, don't you think He would use the very same instruments He used to make Jesus Christ like Jesus Christ, who through suffering was brought to glory. That's what he's doing. And actually, James says that, doesn't he? In verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. These tribulations, Paul says the same thing, these tribulations are the raw materials out of which God fashions glory. Glory, as it were, is the the stuff that God transforms our tribulations into. You know, sometimes people say to you, will we be able to recognize one another in heaven? I think the answer to that is yes and no. I think when you meet some people in heaven, you will say, I didn't recognize you. Now I see who you really were. Not now I know who you are, but now I see who you really were. When what He has been doing, what He's been working away, comes to its full flowering, and then the, you know, the league tables of life, even in the church, maybe especially in the church, are all you know, changed. And then we sit down with one another, and we, I don't know if you can say sorry in heaven, but uh, if, there's a, if there's a sorry moment, you know, children have their me time, if there's a, just a little sorry time, you know, I think I'll be saying to a lot of people, I am sorry. I never saw what God was doing in your life, and now it's unmissable now is absolutely unmissable. So, you see what he's emphasizing? He's, he's emphasizing this principle that you see constantly in the New Testament, that it says you fix your eyes and your faith on the final product that you begin to see the present experiences from their proper perspective. Is that really possible? Well, let me just give you one illustration. Years ago, when we were in uh, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, uh, we got to know uh, 
Lots of people in, I guess, what was a kind of young professionals group at 10th Presbyterian Church when James Boyce was minister. There was a girl there called Alison Large. Let me tell you her story in her own words. When she was one year old, she was diagnosed as having retinoblastoma that led very soon afterwards to the loss of an eye because of the danger of the tumor moving down her, her nerve into her brain, and her right eye was removed. When she was 17, she became a Christian. A year after that, tumor developed behind her good eye. She had surgery. The tumor grew again. She had more surgery. She had two periods of six months of aggressive chemo. The tumor returned. Her choice, blindness or death. The second eye was removed. She had more radiation. Uh, Tumor appeared on her left cheek. Tumor spread to both lungs. And there were no treatment options left for her. And this is her testimony. After all that, I want people to see how rich life can be, even when it's such constant pain. I wouldn't part with everything that has come out in the last five years. I wouldn't trade it. It's the paradox of the Bible about blessings coming through pain, God's strength coming through weakness. I've had a really wonderful life, and the only reason I can see for that is that God allows me to see it. I could choose to be grumpy about the cancer, which I am many days, but I can't ignore all the blessings that have come through it. I don't want to mislead anyone to have myself raised as a model of Christian faith. I often struggle in my relationship with God. I'm gripped with fears of dying. I've wept before God, pleaded with Him, demanded healing from Him, cursed Him, and tried to bargain with Him. Yet, even in my darkest moments, when the words of Scripture fell dead on my numb and unbelieving heart, some solid thing assured me that my Father would pull me back to faith. And believe me, my dark periods were very dark. I've suffered through many bleak periods in which I felt like a mere dust rag in the hands of God to be discarded after use. That's an echo of Psalm 102, or worse, the butt of some horrid cosmic joke. But God has all along hemmed me in on every side. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God has remained faithful. I did not understand what God was doing, and I don't claim to now, but I did know that He was there and that what was happening was under His control. And what becomes ever clearer to me is that far from punishing me, He has blessed me. Whenever God does call me home, for I do believe that is what death is, I want people to understand that my life was not too short for the rich blessings that God gave to me. She died 27. Is it possible? possible for Alison Large. 
And whatever our trials, big or small, it would be to deny the gospel, to deny Christ, to deny God's providence, to deny His faithfulness, to deny His power, to say, it can't be like that for me. Because if you trust Christ, it can and it will. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Well, let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way in which your word meets us, finds us in our need, even as tribulations seem to meet us and find us and sometimes find us out. And we, we tremble when we read passages like this that speak of tribulations because none of us seeks them and none of us by nature enjoys them. But you have taught us that it is possible in tribulations to know your joy and through our tribulations to be made more like Jesus, to know that we are in the hands of the potter and that his ways are perfect. And so again, today, our Father, we pray for dear friends who are going through obvious, if diverse, tribulations, and we pray that they may know something of the joy of the Lord, giving them strength, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.